Leading Saints is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. To see a full scope of the Leading Saints content, visit leadingsaints.org and check out more episodes of this podcast, written articles about leadership for Latter-day Saints, and even the many topic-focused libraries. A great place to start would be the Liberating Saints Library, where you'll find 25-plus interviews related to helping individuals overcome struggles with pornography. Simply text the word LEAD to 474747, and we'll reply back with a link for easy access. So let me give you a little context before we jump into this interview. Uh, In January of 2022, that was recently, if you're listening to this, right when we released this episode, I had the opportunity to be invited onto a cruise that Latter-day Travel put together, and they had a series of speakers on that cruise. I was one of those speakers, and they really made it a fun sort of educational week type feel for those passengers that uh, came on that cruise. And it was a Mexican Riviera cruise. So we saw some beautiful parts of Mexico and, you know, just spent time on an incredible cruise ship. And during that time, I got to meet some really cool people and interview some really cool people. And one of those people I got to interview was sister Elaine Dalton. Her and her husband were on uh, this, this trip and she was one of the the handful of speakers that they had. And so while we were on this cruise ship, uh, we arranged it for me to interview Elaine Dalton. And it turned out to be a fantastic interview, which I'm about to share with you. And uh, I interviewed several other individuals on that uh, cruise. And some of those will be released. Some of them um, were sort of a different kind of interview that may not be a perfect fit for the Leading Saints uh, podcast. But if you were on the cruise and are hoping to hear all of those interviews or maybe you missed one uh, live or whatnot, we'll make sure we get those to you. But uh, let's jump into this fantastic interview with Sister Elaine Dalton. It's been a few years since she was the Young Women's General President, and so here's a brief bio about her. Elaine Dalton was born and raised in Ogden, Utah. She received her bachelor's degree in English from Brigham Young University. Sister Dalton married Stephen E. Dalton in the Salt Lake Temple. They are parents of five sons and one daughter and grandparents of 16 grandchildren. Sister Dalton enjoys running and hiking with her family and dancing with her granddaughters. She loves to read, especially the scriptures, and she loves the Lord. She has a deep admiration for the young women around the world and firmly believes that one virtuous young woman led by the Spirit can change the world. And Sister Elaine Dalton was the Young Women's General President from 2008 to 2013. So here is my interview with Sister Elaine Dalton. So we are on this uh, beautiful cruise ship for the Holland America, and uh, we have some remarkable speakers here, some remarkable guests who are uh, on, on board here with us. And Elaine Dalton, you're uh, 
you're on the speaking circuit with me on, on the ship. It's been pretty fun, right? I am. And it has been. I've yeah. enjoyed every second of it. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Great and, people. Great people. And we are uh, docked out here in the, in the ocean just outside of uh, Cabo San Lucas in, in Mexico. So this is the most unique uh, recording location I've had uh, in, in my time. So, but one I'll take every time. Right? It, it's, it, isn't it kind of like a dream? It is. I know. It's awesome. I don't, we'll yeah. just wake up and oh, <laughs> wonder if this interview ever happens. So, yeah. so Elaine, give us some of your general background, like where you're from, your early faith development, that those types of things. Well, uh, I, I'm originally from Ogden, Utah. I was born and raised there in a home on 20th street. Um, uh, my father passed away when my mother was 45 and I was 18 and I had two younger brothers and myself and my mother went back to work teaching school and raised us. Um, I went to Ogden High School and then from there I went to a year of Weber College and then transferred to BYU where I met my wonderful husband, yeah. Stephen Nelson. And Dalton. he's here. And he's Stephen. here. Nice. Awesome. And uh, then we moved to California. Uh, we, I graduated from BYU and Steve did as well. We were dorm parents for 76 girls on campus. <laughs> Maybe a foreshadowing of what was to come. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. We moved to California and my husband got his MBA at UCLA and got a job with an international or a national company who transferred us to Salt Lake City, Utah. Wow. And we have been there ever since. We've had a family of six children, five boys and one girl and, um, and, a, and a beautiful life. And when I was called to be the general young women president, uh, people would say, well, what qualifies you? Because you've got five boys and only one girl. And I said, I, I know all the boy secrets. So <laughs> I think that's why. <laughs> nice, nice. So early on, um, obviously, the, you know, losing your father at a young age and, and your mother raising you was, uh, how, how would you describe the dynamics of faith in your home and, and how you were, how your testimony was nurtured in those early years? Well, our home was always a faith-filled home. Uh, my father was the bishop for as long as I could remember. Those were the days when men were called to be bishops for a long time. And I remember sitting in the, uh, in the congregation just longing to be able to sit with my father, who was always sitting on the stand. So our, our home was always one of, of faith and dedication to the Lord. We lived next door to my grandparents and so it was just kind of a one ha big, happy, happy family. And when my father passed away, I remember very distinctly my mother um, gathering myself and my two brothers together and telling us that in order for us to make it now as a family without our father, we were going to have to work together and be totally reliant on the Lord. I'll never forget that. Mm. And we had a kind of an oval rug in our living room in front of the fireplace. And so every morning and every evening, we knelt together as a little family and prayed and asked our Heavenly Father to be with us and to help us to, to make our way in the world without our Father. And so those were, those were really formative, defining times because... I totally and, and my brothers and my mom, we totally relied on the Lord and felt very close to him. And um, 
And that's so we've just had that presence. I've had that presence in my life always. And I know he's here. I know he's close now. I know he hears and answers prayers from just a little child. I knew that. Yeah. Uh, you know, we are all familiar with you from your time in those, that general presidency with the young women. Uh, what was uh, church life and callings like before that opportunity came to the to, into your life? Well, church life and callings were just like what everyone else has. You know, um, my husband was called early into a bishopric at, at Brigham Young University while we were serving as dorm parents. Hmm. That's where I had my first son. And that's when I, I, I realized, I, I, I remember saying to Steve, why do three men have to sit on the stand when there's one struggling or two struggling women with children in the audience? Why can't just one take charge? That's when I got taught about priesthood and presiding. And um, I don't know. It's just, yeah. uh, I, I, I've probably always worked with the youth not necessarily with the young women. I was mostly a Sunday school teacher for what what everyone called the rowdy the rowdy boys of uh, of our ward, and those rowdy naughty boys. Um, I won over. You know, you can always win over the boys with food, and I donuts were my secret. Uh, they had gone out the window on every teacher that they'd ever had. And those boys now are bishops, state presidents, and mission presidents. I'm mm. very proud of, of my boys. <laughs> the donuts worked. The right? donuts worked. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. Um, what what callings led up to, you know, as as we sit and watch General Conference, suddenly we hear these names and these people even though fill those seats, but we don't really always hear how they got to that, uh, that list of names that, that they selected from. So were, were, I believe, were you in the general relief study presidency before? Or, no, or the- no, I wasn't. Actually, my husband was called to uh, be a part. He was a singles ward bishop first. And I remember sitting in, we had three relief societies in that ward. And I remember sitting in those relief societies. He called me to be the advisor to the relief society, which I said, that's not in the handbook. That's just a bogus calling. (laughs) But it was actually a very inspired calling because I believe those single young adult women were who prepared me for when I did get my calling. My husband then served in a state presidency of a a married adult, uh, married young adult ward. And again, I I was just as I attended, I was just tutored. Um, The first thing I realized that when I was going to work on a general level, I got called um, by the general young women presidency to come in for a focus group. And shortly after that time, I got a call from Elder Hale's office and Elder Hale's called my husband and myself in. We didn't know why. That's always fun, um, right? Yeah, my <laughs> husband was sitting in the in the foyer with the coldest hands I've ever felt in my life and mentally selling all our possessions. <laughs> <laughs> and when we got into Elder Hale's office, he said, Sister, Brother Dalton, you can relax. This is a calling for Sister Dalton. And I was then called to be on the Young Women General Board. Mm. And from from that from that place, I served with Margaret Nadald was the president. I served for five years there. Then when she was released, Susan Tanner was called to be the president of the young women. And she called me to be her second counselor. 
Julie Beck was the first counselor. When she was called to be the Relief Society president, then I moved up to first counselor. And then when Susan was released, I I couldn't believe it because I'd been serving for so long. By that time, I'd been serving on a general level for 10 years. And when Susan was released, I thought they probably wanted to get on. But uh, President Monson became the prophet. And I was the first calling that he made short, shortly after he was uh, set apart as a prophet and um, or, or sustained as a prophet to be the next general young woman president. So wow. that's the history. That's the history. It's crazy. Nice. So I, sir, I have actually had the privilege of serving on a general level in the church for 16 years. And I'm so grateful for that, that tutoring that yeah. I've had. Yeah. Those experiences. And so going into that calling as the general young women's presidency, like because all of us have to some extent have the opportunity to walk into a calling that maybe we're a little bit intimidated by and we don't know maybe how to approach it. So we kind of feel like we're faking it for a while until we find our footing. So any advice that you'd have, you know, just looking back on that experience or, or maybe you can talk about that experience of just starting that calling. Like, where did you begin to lead in that context? Well, you know, I think the Lord was really good to me because he did he did take it slowly. He tutored me slowly. Some of his children, he has to work harder on than others. And I was one of those. And so I, I kind of learned along the way when I was called by President Monson, he said this. Now, the Lord has called you and I want you to go home and 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 speak with him and find out why he did and what you're supposed to do. And I remember, and then he said, come back and let's talk. Hmm. And I remember very clearly petitioning the Lord to help me understand what it was I was supposed to do. And my husband and I were together when it all happened. And it was like a floodgate, wasn't it, Steve? He's here and he can, he's shaking his head. Yes, the, the, it, I knew exactly after a period of about three hours of just uh, exactly what the Lord wanted me to do, what he wanted accomplished for the young women and, and even in time frames and in, and in a certain order, everything had to happen. Yeah. It was yeah. quite miraculous. And so I didn't, I didn't flounder too much because I knew for sure what the, why I had been called and what I needed to do. Yeah. Which was wonderful. Yeah. And, and tell me about the process of, of calling counselors, because typically when you're called in a ward setting, you sort of have an idea of, you know, you're restricted to that word boundaries, but you could probably call anybody in the world who was a Latter-day Saint. Yeah, okay. That's what President Monson told me. He said, okay, now that you know what to do, I will get you, you pray and whoever you want for a counselor, I will call anyone in the world <laughs> to be your counselor. And uh, so again, I, I went to the temple and I, 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 I prayed about that and um, clear as a bell. It was as I could see a long hall and at the end of the hall, I could see two women. Hmm. And one of those women was Mary Cook and the other one was Ann Dibb, which I was like, I don't want to see Ann Dibb. She's President Monson's daughter. How can that be? You know, prayers, President Monson's given everything he has to the church. And now I'm saying, I want your daughter. 
<laughs> and I really, really struggled with that. And, uh, and to the point where when I was supposed to, he told me to write the names down on a piece of paper and then bring it to his office. And, and so I, I, I made about four attempts to go to his office with that envelope and just couldn't do it. I was just scared. <laughs> yeah. I just thought, how can I ask for this? But finally, I did go to his office and I was actually very relieved that he was not there. But I left the envelope with his secretary. <laughs> and then I didn't hear for several days and I kind of agonized about that. But he, in the meantime, had called those two women to be my counselors, yeah. which turned to be a, the greatest blessing. Do you remember, did he ever comment on uh, his, he his, never, you calling his daughter? He never said a word. He never <laughs> right. said a word. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Well, and uh, you know, we all experienced just her love and, and dedication to that calling. And I can still think of many of her conference talks. And so she turned out to be a, a great choice. I'm glad you followed through. She was a great choice. And, and, um, she actually, I think she had prophetic genes as well. She yeah. was a very, very good counselor to me. She counseled me. She had, of course, observed church protocol and how things are done properly for all her whole life. And and I, of course, hadn't. Yeah. And so she counseled me in very wise ways about what to do and how to navigate and how to get things done, which was a great blessing. Hmm. That's great. So to tell me about if you're uh, in front of a brand new young women's president in a ward, like with the hindsight of this, of that calling and, and experience there, the 16 years you talked about on those general levels, where would you encourage a brand new young women's president to start as far as in their leadership calling? Personally, or as they're, as they're leading, leading the young women? Yeah, personally, you're just, they're just, they're looking for any advice that you might have in that role. Well, first of all, I think I'd want that brand new young women president to know that she was called and chosen by the Lord and prepared and that she has a unique contribution to make to the young women that she's leading. I would want her to know that. And if she were to ask me what I should, what would I teach these young women? What's the most important thing for them to learn and know? I would say, teach them their identity, hmm. help them truly understand their identity, that they are really daughters of God. Because I believe that once a young woman, a young man, anyone understands who they truly are, that takes care of every other decision. Hmm. Uh, and, and, and for some reason, as a young girl, I kind of knew that. And so when my friends were at parties and they were making choices that weren't right, if they were, you know, offering me a drink of liquor or whatever, I would just say, that's, that's not who I am. Hmm. I, that, that, no, thank you. I, I, I made a decision a long time ago, the, that's just not what I do. Yeah. And I was very confident about that. And I, I think that's partly due to my parents and my grandparents' influence in my life. So I would say to a young woman president, teach identity, identity, who you are. Yeah. And is there any uh, further advice as far as the, the how of, of doing that? Is, uh, I mean, because I think, you know, we, we try and stand up in front of that group of young women and say, you are a child of God. You are a daughter of God. Right. You repeat the the uh, young women values and whatnot. Uh, and any other advice as far as how to really 
drill in that identity to this young well, generation. Okay, here here's my here's my thinking. Of course, you you know that I'm the young women president that introduced a new of new value to personal progress, and that value was virtue. And by virtue, uh, there are a lot of of good. Th- adjectives that come out of the word virtue, but by the virtue I meant was the one in 121, Doctrine and Covenants 121, where it says, let virtue garnish thy thoughts unceasingly. And you go down to the little number that it it describes and it's sexual purity, it's chastity. And so that uh, that value was critical for the young women to qualify to have the constant companionship of a member of the Godhead. And so we always talked about a return to virtue because using the word return uh, includes the Savior's atonement who makes it possible when we make mistakes that we can change, we can return. And so um, virtue is absolutely key to having the constant companionship of a member of the Godhead. And when a young woman has that, the Holy Ghost will actually teach and witness to her who she is. That's how it happens. And yeah. so, so I would say to a young woman president, put these young women in, in places where they can feel the spirit, where the spirit is present. That's why camp is such a huge priority for me or was when I was the young woman general president, because that's a place where I, magic happens. That's a place where you can be still. You can get away from the world. A young woman can drop all the, all the things that are distractions and she can actually f- feel the spirit and have the spirit teach her who she is. Yeah, yeah, that's powerful. Anything else? I want to make sure I don't move past this, this uh, context too fast as far as any other advice that you'd give to a brand new young women's president to to help them out. Anything else come to mind? Okay. uh, Yeah. Let's hear it. (laughs) You know, the power of prayer. I think we forget how powerful prayer is. And as a young woman president myself, and and as a Laurel leader myself, I would worry about young, some of the young women that were, were in my class. I would see them making choices that weren't consistent with who they were. And, and I can, I can testify to you that we, we can't force anyone, but you pray for someone by name day after day after day and petition the Lord. And the power of prayer is huge for a young woman. And, and I've, I've experienced, I mean, I had one girl who was a Laurel that I just, I couldn't reach. I'd go to her house and I'd hear her mom say, or her say to her mom in the background, tell that woman, I'm not here. And she just did not want to even see me. And and yet I prayed and prayed and prayed for her. After I was called to be the general young woman president, I went to the temple for years go by, you know, and you worry about that girl and you see her making choices that just seem like they're just on a spiral clear to the bottom. And years go by, I'm in the temple for a, a temple wedding and I'm sitting there waiting for the officiator to come in. I look across from me and there's that girl. There she is, one of my girls. She's sitting there in the temple. And, and I did what I should not have done, but I went, 
what are you doing here? <laughs> kind of, you know, like, whoa. And she just smiled this biggest smile at me. And she, she just sat there. After the wedding, I went over to her and I gave her a big hug. And I said, tell me what's happened and tell me how you got to this place. And what's the secret? Because I'm still a leader of young women. What can I tell the leaders? And she said to me something I'll never forget. She said, oh, Sister Dalton, tell them never, never give up. Hmm. Never give up. And so years later, those prayers worked. And the, the Lord used other women that she had come in contact with to make connections with her until he got her right back where we all wanted her. And mm. it took, a, it took a, a whole community, but it happened. Yeah. So prayer is powerful. Prayer is very powerful. And I love the, that story because it can feel like, you know, we're in these callings for just a, a blip of, of time. It, it seems and you wonder, like, did I even make a difference? You oh, know, yeah, and yeah. You, you worry that you didn't see any progress and maybe, you know, that was just a waste of my time or I'm God is behind me. But over time, I and mean, that's just over how God time, works. The, right? the Lord's due time. Can I tell you one more uh, story? Please do. So uh, when I was uh, in my calling, I, I traveled to um, Freetown, Freetown in Africa. Uh -huh. And there was a young woman that the priesthood leaders wanted me to go meet with. And Steve and I went through these little alleyways and into the most desperate of circumstances, into the smallest little tin home I've ever seen, walked in and it was clear this young woman was in trouble and that a lot of horrible things had occurred in her life. And I've never felt, it was just the young woman and her mother, I've never felt that, that kind of despair in my life. And I sat there and spoke with them and did everything I thought I could. And at the end of that session together, I invited them to come to church because I knew that the gospel of Jesus Christ was their only hope out of the situation that they were in. And I invited them to come to a meeting that evening where I was going to be um, speaking. And so that evening, um, I got to the meeting and all the people gathered, but the mother and her daughter weren't there. And it was clear to me that that wasn't going to happen. And I was so upset about that because I was so worried about that girl. But about partway through the meeting, here they came walking into the back door of that chapel with their headdresses on. They looked so regal. They looked like two queens had just walked in the door and they smiled from ear to ear at me. And and after that meeting, we we embraced and we spoke. And I knew the next morning I was going to fly away to to Salt Lake City, Utah and never see her again and just prayed that somehow something had happened that would keep her coming to the church and that those leaders would grab a hold of that girl who, who wasn't the most appealing girl to grab a hold of at that mm. time. I prayed for her. I have prayed for her every day for lots and lots of years. Mm. Ever since I met her until about four months ago. And four months ago, my husband and I were sitting, and I never knew what happened to her, but I've prayed for her. My husband and I were sitting at the kitchen table. We were looking through the church news. My husband turned a page, and he said, 
do you see what I see? And I said, no, what? And there was a picture of a bunch of Relief Society women from Africa, from Freetown, Africa. And he said, look who's on the end. And there she was. Hmm. 10 years later, 20 years old, the most beautiful, shiny young woman. And it was her. And, and it was such a tender mercy of the Lord to just to let my husband point out there's, there she is. She's with the Relief Society women now. Hmm. She's going to be okay. In other words, Heavenly Father said, Elaine, you can quit bothering me about her. <laughs> She's okay now. But yeah. what a tender mercy that was after years and years of, of praying for that girl. Yeah. It works. And it's such a, a sweet, basic principle that, you know, sometimes we, you know, imagine a new young women's president gets into this role and then she wants to have the most epic girls camp and the most epic Sunday lessons and, you know, do everything just right. But at the end of the day, it's like the moment of her just kneeling down and praying for each one of those girls. And even after the time they're, they're released like that, that that's really what, where leadership resides and you're doing good enough. Just, just doing that. Right. I think so. And I think sometimes we get so caught up in the epicness of what of the activity that we forget that it's not about that. It's yeah. about this precious young woman. It's one on one. Yeah. It's really one on one. And sometimes I think we do things wonderful. So people will think that, oh, we're wonderful, but it's not how it's not how it should be. We do things the way the Lord wants them done. So people will say, isn't he wonderful? Yeah. Yeah, so true. And dovetailing off that that sweet story, you know, traveling internationally, uh, what perspective did you gain as far as the the young women around the world or the church in general, just by traveling to these different places and seeing the church function in such diverse locations? The the, the bottom line perspective that I gained is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only hope for this world. It really is, and. Um, and I watched because I would go to countries multiple times, different years. I could see when someone became a member of the church, I could watch them rise. You could literally see a physical difference in people. And then you could see as they began to act in faith and pay their tithing and so on, you could actually see a difference in the, the, the prosperity level that they were experiencing. So I guess I would say, Kurt, that the, that the hope of the world is the restored gospel of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ and his infinite atonement. Once people get that message, yeah. there's no stopping them. Yeah. I love that. Uh, tell me, and you mentioned a little bit, but as far as, you know, girls camp goes, this is such this, this tradition, this strong tradition we have in our, our faith. And, you know, and every summer it can be daunting for a lot of young women's presence. Like, okay, here we go again. Let's see what we can do. And you just, you want to, you hope and pray that the, the girls have such a remarkable sanctifying experience there. And so you, you kind of put that on your shoulders, you know, these young women's presence can be overwhelming. So what general insights do you have in, about girls camp and that experience that you haven't talked about yet? Well, you know, I, I think girls camp is, um, it could be, it, it is, it's all, it's a ton of work. Yeah. And, but I, I don't like the, uh, the spa kind of girls camps. That's not where mm. I reside. I, uh, I feel like a girl 
in in packing up a, her backpack and having her tent in the in the and sleeping in a sleeping bag, and learning how to cook over a, a fire and with a Dutch oven, is is actually. Uh, preparedness temporal you know temporal preparedness it's, i think it also allows a young woman the experience to kind of set up a mini home uh, and she does that with as she sets up her campsite and and i also think it takes uh, a young woman out of her comfort zone and i think anytime we're taken out of our comfort zone we're stretched a little little tightly that all of a sudden we realize we can't do everything on our own even even just a, a hike a backpack or whatever i think it helps us realize that we are totally dependent on the lord and so uh and, and i think it also helps us just uh, just drop the the worldly things you know you find that uh you're out out in the wilderness for a couple of days and really it doesn't really matter what your hair looks like and you don't even think about putting on lipstick anymore and, and it's very freeing for a young woman because they're trying to live they're trying to look like they think they're supposed to look to be beautiful but what happens is they discover how beautiful they truly have been made by our heavenly father and isn't it true i've I, i've traveled all over the world and i've never met a young woman who's not attractive they and and especially attractive when they glow with the with the with the holy ghost they're just beautiful young women uniquely made because they each have a unique divine contribution to make. And so even, uh, even the way our bodies are made, our, the size we are, the height we are, the color of our hair, the way we smile, the Lord has made us individually so that we can, our bodies can actually help us fulfill that individual mission. What, is the Lord, what does the world tell us? Oh, we all have to look a certain way, mm -hmm. you know? And so I think, I think just getting away from that message for a bit is very freeing and very enlightening to most young women. Yeah. Yeah. Just really keeping it simple and, uh -huh. and yeah. creating an experience that's in nature and, yeah. and not high expectations and those things can yeah. go a long way. And, right? and tying in the scriptures and yeah. just quiet time. Yeah. Yeah. Really helpful. Anything else about that girls camp that, uh, oh. yeah, even though that's fine. We can I love girls camp. I just, I just love it. I love to, uh, we, you know, we have five boys and, and one girl and, and so we did a lot of boy things, but uh, I can't think of anything I love more than, than, than camping in the outdoors under the stars, being in nature. I was talking with someone just today on this cruise about the fact that perhaps there's so much anxiety in the world today because we've lost touch with the earth that maybe we need to all go walk and put our toes in the sand and sit in the sun and stare up at the stars a little bit more because we're inside we're looking at screens all the time and i think it does something crazy to yeah. to our inner soul yeah yeah for sure um what about uh you know speaking in general conference you had many opportunities to do that and i often want you know i have a lot of experience even speaking in general but sometimes i wonder how do those people get their legs to actually walk up to that lectern and and without falling over but what what's what stories come to mind as far as your experience speaking in general conference? Well, the first one is is my husband. I, I remember when I gave my first talk in general conference, I got we got to the conference center and he said, now, don't be afraid, Elaine. There's only nine million people <laughs> that will hear this and be sure when you walk down the stairs to the pulpit, don't trip. <laughs> so. 
I was a nervous wreck, but here's what I've learned. Faith and fear cannot exist in the same place at the same time. And something happens when you stand up from that red chair, you know you've prepared, you've prepared a talk, and, and it's interesting because you prepare a talk and then you have to fit it into a certain time frame, which means you cut and you cut and you cut and you change vocabulary words because some words you may use don't translate correctly in a different language. And there are so many languages. And so you'll change even wording in your talk and you get it to fit into this specific time frame. And by the time you do that, you don't even recognize your talk. And I didn't ever even know if my talks would make sense because I felt like I'd had to cut the heart and soul mm. out of those talks. But I tell you that the minute you stand and you walk to the pulpit, something else takes over. And I remember the first time that I did that as I was walking to the pulpit to give my talk, um, all the brethren, the 12 were right there on the stand and they all were like, they put their thumbs up and just give me this big thumbs up. And when, when you get a thumbs up from the prophet, yeah. you try really hard to do a really good job. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Anything else, you know, it's interesting to hear just the, the cutting process, editing process, some of these things, anything else as far as the process of preparing, I would imagine you sort of know coming up to a general conference with, uh, you know, a good amount of time that you're going to be up, up to, to do this. So anything as far as the revelation that came or developing the topic and the focus that would be worth mentioning? Well, you know, you, what happens is you get a letter, a, a formal letter, and you open and you see office of the first presidency on the envelope, you open that up and it says, dear sister Dalton, you will be speaking in this session. It doesn't say, would you like to, it's you will be speaking in this. And that's not a matter of agency, is it? Cause when we accepted the call, that was our agency, part of it, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> you will be speaking. You will, we will follow so-and-so and you will have 12 minutes to speak. May you be blessed in your preparation sincerely. And then it's hand signed by the three members of the first presidency. So there's no topic assigned. It's just, may you be blessed in your preparation. And that is where the work begins. And that is work. Yeah. And, and, and I, there were times when I would write 16 talks, I'd start them and then they'd just dwindle out. They weren't, they, I couldn't. And then I'd start another one and they'd dwindle out and I'd read to Steve and he'd say, Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> and, and I'd like, no, don't tell me that. And then finally, finally, and some talks would come line upon line. They were hard talks. And then others that I gave just fell out of heaven. They just came like in a stream. And so some were easy, some were hard. I remember my first talk as the young women general president, when I gave the, it on re, a return to virtue, that, that literally fell out of heaven. Hmm. That talk, someone said that talk must, you must've written that talk in the pre-mortal life. And somehow you were able to find the file folder that that was in. <laughs> because it just, it came so quickly. Others it took a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting and encouraging because it, you know, by the time we sit down and watch general conference, it's like, wow, they sure make this easy. You know, they just stand up there and read their talk, but we, we fail to see the 
the wrestle that, that took place. It is a, you know what? Yeah. That's such a good word, Kirk. It, yeah. it is. It's a wrestle. And and when you start in on it, you're when you read that letter, you go, oh, I've got to start fasting again. And, <laughs> and about means, how much time do, does that letter go? This 20 trips to the temple, yeah. you know, and some of those you'd go and you'd sit in the celestial room and nothing would come. Yeah. Nothing. Would and did they give you about six months than that let before? Actually, or? no, you get about two months. Okay. Yeah. About two. And then I, from what I hear, you have to turn it in earlier so translation can happen. Yes, and yeah, you have to get it. I think it's about two or three weeks before general conference. They have to have it for trans, all the translation. Yeah. 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 So... I love that. It's, it's such a sanctifying process. Even, you know, local leaders who have to speak or give lessons a lot. Like sometimes the Lord says, here's the printout, just read from the top. And other times it's like, let's go on a journey together and yeah. I will reveal to you and and teach you as we go through this. And that, what a blessed you know opportunity that is, even though it takes a little more work. Right? And, you know, you start out to write a talk for general conference and you want to use, you want to be so intelligent. You want to use all the right things, you know, but what the Lord does, I learned is he uses your own unique experiences uh, and he allows you to teach what you have learned about him through those experiences it's really all about him yeah yeah i'm curious just in general like um you know the young women's presidency or other general presidencies what do we what, what's happening behind the scenes that maybe we, we don't realize? I mean, I, what sort of type of decisions or conversations are happening that because uh, sometimes we think, oh, they just speak in general conference. That's what they do. But there's a lot more that goes into that. What, how would you uh, explain, generally speaking, what, what happens behind the scenes? What happens behind the scenes is 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 different, I think, for each presidency. For us, um, we had a lot of work to do. We had a young women curriculum that needed to be changed very badly. And that 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 curriculum actually is is the one we're now having as an as adults. But it began with the young women and then the young men and then seminaries and institutes. And that was the time when that whole shift came in the curriculum where we we allowed prophet seers and revelators the the words of prophet seers and revelators current ones to be a part of the curriculum i'll never forget going before president monson who by profession is a printer and making a proposal to him that we now quit printing manuals and we put everything online so that we can be nimble enough to use the current words of the prophets. And I was just shaking when I made that proposal. And President Monson was quiet for a long time. And then he looked at me and said, you're right. It's what we need to do now. Hmm. And that was a huge prophetic decision. Um, and so I don't know, yeah, just that's helpful. You know, I just think uh, I think a lot of things happen in different presidencies, but you, we did that kind of work. We did a lot of committee work. We we served on a lot of committees in the in the in the church with with the brethren. That's not new that we may think that's just happened of late. That's not the case. It's funny that it just wasn't publicized, but we served right along with the brethren. They asked our opinions on on a lot of things. And uh, we were part of all of that committee work. I think the thing that I love the most about working with prophets, seers and revelators was praying with them. And I wish that every person in the whole world could hear a prophet pray. I wish the women of the church could hear a prophet pray 
for them. I think it would be a game changer for mm -hmm. all of us to be in a room where that happens. And uh, it's a very, very sweet experience. I've been in the room where I've literally watched revelation being received. And um, it's incredible. It's incredible how the Lord cares about his church, his children, his young women, his women, yeah. all of us. It's really an incredible experience, mm -hmm. but busy all the time. And the other thing that's just so crazy about that calling is, is you have homework because you need to prepare. You know, you don't go into a meeting with the brethren and just go, hi, how you doing? <laughs> I mean, you have to be not just intellectually prepared, but you have to be spiritually prepared for, for meetings like that. And that takes a lot of work. And then of course, I don't know about you. When does the Holy ghost speak to you? But he doesn't speak to me. I mean, I, I hear a lot of promptings in the day, but on this, in this calling, it was three 30 in the morning. That's when he came. That's yeah. when he spoke. That's when I got answers to prayers. That's when I, uh, you know, you've heard President Nelson say he has a tablet by the side of his bed. I did, too, because you have to hurry and write those things down or you do forget them. Mm -hmm. Is that yeah. how it happens for you, Kurt? Uh, well, I, I maybe need to <laughs> set my alarm for three in the morning and see what comes. But, <laughs> but, uh, to me, it's more the shower. You know, I'm standing oh, yeah. in the shower. OK, right? that's another place a lot of people say, because yeah. why? Because we're still then. Yeah. 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 We don't have the distraction. Yeah. We have to turn everything <laughs> off and focus on the task at hand. Right. Yeah. So. Um, what, you know, there's, there's emails I get, and this may be a dynamic that isn't talked about enough, but you know, ward setting, you know, there's a lot going on as far as in a volunteer organization, the, the bishops call the elders quorum, the young women's presidency and whatnot. And we all want to do our best and have a say. And, but sometimes I, I get messages and emails from maybe some friction between the bishop and the young woman's presidency, like they don't feel like they have the autonomy that they wish they had, or they make a decision and the bishop just seems to change it every time. And, and it can be, you know, really frustrating for some of these auxiliary leaders, organizational leaders, anything you'd say as far as encouragement there or, or what we should consider, obviously you dealt with these dynamics on a general level with working with the brethren and whatnot. And it sounds like they're always encouraging and, and giving you a lot of leeway and autonomy to, to fulfill the function you were asked to serve in. So any, any thoughts or perspective with that dynamic? Well, yes, of course. Awesome. I, um, I didn't always get immediate yeses. Um, and so I would just, I would just act as the best I could, but I, I learned very quickly that you don't want to ever go out on your own on these things, that it's so important that you have united support of priesthood power and of, of auxiliary, the auxiliaries that, that, you know, if I ever got an answer, well, sister Dalton, you go ahead and do that. It was very frightening to me. You don't want to go out on your own, but I also learned this, that when the Lord speaks and you're and, and inspires you to do something that he'll make it possible in his own due time and I watched his, the hand of the Lord move and make things possible that needed to be made. And in the, in, the, in the process of that, I also watched him not only tutor me in his ways, 
but tutor others in his ways. And so that that was a fascinating thing to be a part of. My my philosophy, if I were to talk to a young woman leader, um, I'd say every no is one step closer to yes, if it's right. Mm. Every no is one step closer to yes. And and sometimes that's how things happen. Yeah. And if you feel that inspiration revelation coming, you know, just sort of keep leaning into it and, and take those no's as they come with, as you communicate. And no, I really feel this is a direction I'm feeling prom- prompted to go. Right. And, and the way, and the way you just said that is, is the way it should be done. I think you can't ever stomp your feet and shake your curls. Does that make sense? <laughs> I mean, I mean, we have to be, we have to be, filled with love and charity. We have to be, we can't, we can be bold, but we can't be brash. There's, there's just the Lord's way is a different way than the world's way. And I think a lot of times we watch the world's way and think that's how we're supposed to do it. And I think I was really tutored in the softness and the sweetness of the Lord's way. And that that's how things come about. It's not, yeah. You know, this is what I want kind yeah. of thing. Walk in there with a sledgehammer, no. right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That yeah. was really big tutoring for me. Yeah. Really good. Any, uh, before we wrap up here, any questions? Uh, first of all, the live studio audience here, everybody say hi. Hi. <laughs> yeah, there's probably 40, 50 people here all uh, listening. Any questions you have for uh, Sister Dalton uh, before we wrap up? We have a wireless mic here so I can roam. <laughs> How did you and Steve meet and what was your first date? Oh, you're so cute. Oh dear. Do we have time for this? I'll give you the short version. The short version. I saw Steve Dalton on the campus of BYU. He had just come home from his mission and he shined. And I said to my roommate, now that's the kind of guy you'd want to marry. And she said, oh, him, he's Steve Dalton and he's from Springville. I know him. And I said, you do. I have to meet him. And I happened to have a job at the Wilkinson Center uh, main desk. And at that time, people could come to that desk and they could ask to see someone else, another student's schedule. That would never happen. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) And so I was the one who would hand them the card of the other student's schedule. They could copy it down and then I'd take it back and put it in the card file. So having his name, I looked up Steve Dalton and got his schedule, his (laughs) class schedule schedule. And then I just happened to be there when he'd come out of certain classes looking as spiffy as I possibly could. Nice. And so um, Steve, you had a stalker. This is interesting. Well, people will call that stalking today, but at the time I called that flirting. Oh, okay. That works. And it works. Here you are, you know? So that's how I met my husband and, and we started dating and the rest is history. And how many years has it been now? Mary? It has been 54 years, Steve. Wow. 53. 53. 53. Awesome. Any other questions? Sister Dalton, just wondering, did you receive revelation beforehand that you're going to receive your call? And what was the circumstance when the call actually came and when it was broadcast in conference? Gosh, that's that's a great question. I had um, I did have some some promptings um, that I should get myself shaped up. And I felt like maybe those promptings, because I never suspected I'd be called to be the president, um, I I thought maybe I was going to die. 
and that I needed to just really sanctify my life. And that, that, that worried me a little bit. I asked my husband for a blessing and, and he gave me a blessing. But, um, I remember when I, when I got that phone call that, um, President Monson would like to visit with me and my husband in his office. Um, I just fell to my knees after that call and uh, said a prayer to Heavenly Father and, and asked him to please help me and my husband be worthy to do whatever it was the prophet asked. And um, we went to his office with that kind of heart. And, uh, and then that's when he... He received, he, I received that call. What I thought was going to happen was he was going to say, you've, you've served a long time and I'd like to release you. And so I prayed that I'd be a, a big girl. I wouldn't cry because I loved what I was doing. I wouldn't cry. And I would, I actually practiced this. I said, and I, I practice saying, well, thank you, President Monson, for the privilege of serving. It has been the joy of my life. And I promised myself I wouldn't cry. And so when we did go into that office, he did say, as you know, a new presidency is going to be called and I'm, I'm going to release you. And I remember thinking, what a classy prophet. He's just in face to face telling me I'm going to be released. And so I went to say my rehearsed speech and he said, and I'd like to call you to be the 13th general young woman president for the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I can remember I ruined my rehearsal. I just bawled my little eyes out. <laughs> yeah, that's sweet. Yeah. I'm curious just with uh, the release that came you know, after you said 16 years of serving in these general positions. And I remember my time, you know, serving as a bishop for five years and in a state presidency. And I, after that release, uh, you lose such this self-identity because you've been serving for so long and you sort of, I remember just sort of wandering, like, does anybody want to talk to me? Like what, you know, and so what advice would you give to leaders like that time that, because other people are saying, well, isn't it great? You don't have all that stuff to do anymore, but it's such rewarding service, you know? And so it leaves such a hole in your heart. So what, what advice would you give or what have you learned after being released uh, from that, those long years of serving? Well, Kurt, I'm, I'm glad to hear you were wandering because I was doing <laughs> okay. the same thing. I didn't anticipate. And I would say to leaders today, you know, prepare the day you're called for your release because it, it does happen. But it is kind of an identity thing, yeah. especially the longer you serve, I think. And, and I realized that I didn't even have any vocabulary words other than gospel and, and young women. And I also, those first days at home, I didn't have anything to think about because mm -hmm. I'd start thinking about the young women. And I'd think, oh, you know, what do I, what do I do now? But one of the other things that I did realize is why does the Lord give us callings in the first place? Mm. He gives us callings to tutor us in the ways that he wants us to be all the time. So a young man or young woman goes on a mission. They're tutored in the ways of the Lord. They serve their mission. They come home and they're released. Are they through being missionaries? No. Right. You can't be through because right. he's 
put in all this intensive tutoring. So over time, I realized that the calling, if I were to put everything I had in the drawer, close it and never and never even think about that ever again, because I had been released, that would be a mistake because I think every calling is preparation to be more more serviceable to the kingdom. And so in that, in that way, I just thought I've got to use what he's tutored me mm -hmm. in to continue to serve without a calling. And really, don't you think that's what Zion's going to be like yeah. when, when we wake up in the morning and we have such a witness of the Holy ghost, we have him so close to us. We know exactly who we need to go see and what we need to do. We're starting on that road. I believe with ministering, I think, you know, we now have our ministering assignments. I think there will come a day when we will get this down to the point where it won't be an assignment. We'll wake up and we'll know what we need to do and how we need to minister. And I think the callings just, just tutor us and prepare yeah. us for this kind of yeah. Zion society. Yeah. Any examples come to mind as far as how you've not put the, those skills and abilities and callings in the drawer? Like how, how do you manifest that, uh, that influence and in ministering outside of the, the official titles and callings? Well, you know, I, I, I think I try to just stay in tune enough with the spirit that when the spirit prompts me to do something, I can do it. And, and I, I shared this in one of the sessions. We were in San Diego having lunch at this place. It was a chicken and egg place, and they called it the crack house. <laughs> and uh, we were having Sister lunch Dalton there. in the crack house. All <laughs> <Yeah>. right. <laughs> we're having lunch there, and I see these young adult women coming down the sidewalk, and I had a prompting that I needed to go speak with them. And, uh, and so I did, I, I, I'm crazy. I mean, I, and so I just try to follow these promptings and 10 of these most beautiful women and, and in San Diego. And I said, tell me who you are. You look like you could be members of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And they said, Oh, we are, <laughs> we're here. We're from New York. And we can't, we, I said, where have you been? You shine. And they said, Oh, we've been to the temple. We came and we went to a temple wedding. And so I think I just I just try to follow the spirit in that way. I don't I don't seek opportunities to put myself out there. Mm -hmm. I just I really like just that quiet ministering one on one and really, really holy sweet th things happened on the sidewalk in San Diego, California. And several of the girls uh, had I'd been to their girls camp and they shared things that had happened there that had changed the direction in their lives. Life. And so the Lord just kind of arranges opportunities for us to do his work when we are open to, to hearing him and, and when we're bold enough to obey. And, and those, some, most of the promptings that I get put me, take me out of my comfort zone because I'm not one that will walk up and talk to strangers. I just <laughs> doesn't happen. But when I get a prompting, I learned in my calling you cannot ignore those promptings. I tried, uh, but you can't do that. You have to just go. So yeah, that's really, that's kind of how I'm serving now. Yeah. One more question from the audience. Anybody have one? I'm just curious what your calling is now. <laughs> uh, we, my husband and I share a calling and it's a, it's a grand calling. It's preparing the youth for the temple, temple preparation. And my husband is a sealer in, in the temple 
And so we are able to, to prepare the youth in, in our ward for, for the temple, do that temple prep class. Now it's evolved into being, uh, what is it called now? Family history. It's for the grownups too. Oh, it's yeah. temple and family history for everybody in our ward. And we've just begun that one. So that's what we do now. That's great. That's yeah. awesome. Well, Elaine, this has been so uh, awesome to just hear some of these stories and I'm inspired and uh, encouraged by it. Uh, last question I have for you, just reflecting on all these years of service as a leader, uh, how has being a leader helped you become a better follower of Jesus Christ? Ooh, that's a good question. I don't think, um, I don't know that any of us are leaders. I think we are followers of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I think as, as we follow him and we have him be a part of our lives and as we seek um, to do his will and learn his ways, that the scripture that comes to mind for me is that we attract others to us. And so we're not really leading, we're, we're following in a way. Uh, his his great example, but we attract others to us. It's light cleaveth to light, and virtue loveth virtue. And I think, I think perhaps that's the secret of leadership is is just gathering more and more light as we live here on the earth, and and being attractive enough in that way that we can attract others to the gospel of Jesus Christ, not to us but to Him. Thanks for listening. Like I said at the beginning of the episode, make sure to visit LeadingSaints.org to find similar content that will inspire you to be more prepared to lead. Simply text the word LEAD to 474747 and we'll send you a link to make it easy to get started. Also, would you mind sending this episode to another person who would find it insightful, maybe in a text message or an email? It will definitely bless their life. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness, the loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.